We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash hack it out. Just go to Indeed.com slash hack it out right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash hack it out. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So welcome back to the Hack It Out Golf Podcast, season two, myself and Lou Stagner. Today we're going to share some ideas of how you could lower your scores, real practical advice from tee to green. Uh, I'm going to help you with my experience of watching golfers hit good and bad shots for 20 plus years as a coach. And Lou, as the stat meister, will help us understand maybe how the odds are stacked against us or for us, depending on what we choose to do when we're out there on the old wild golf courses. It should be a fun episode. Hello, Lou. How are you doing? Are you ready to help golfers tee to green we're talking today? I'm ready to help them. Uh, first, we should start with me, though. I probably need more help than most of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, there's always lots of ways to help your golf, obviously, technique and all the rest of it. But we'll talk a mixture of both technique and ideas of strategy and how kind of stats and data that we're seeing more and more roll out across the amateur game now as well can really help the listener make some wise decisions. So let's start on the T. What would be some of the maybe biggest myths or biggest um, kind of uh, trip ups that you see people make when they're playing their tee shots? Just to give you an example, I did a live yesterday on my YouTube channel talking about the idea of always missing the fairway on one side. You know, like the commentators say that players have a one-sided miss and I showed the data showing that that's maybe more evident with the worst players. The good players actually are quite even missing left and right. They have a consistent shot shape that don't miss on one side. And even though lots of the audience are getting that now, there's a lot that it literally blows their head off. They just can't imagine someone who curves the ball left and right in the air would ever miss on the left side. Um, so it's those kind of ideas. Um, should people be hitting to one side of the fairway? I know that's something you've talked about before. What, what would your advice be if someone's trying to get down the right side of the fairway for a good angle in? Well, let, let's rewind and let's start with the uh, only missing it on, on one side. And that's just completely not what somebody wants to try and do. Like I had a conversation with a guy who said, well, I can eliminate the left side of the golf course. I can yeah. always miss on the right-hand side. Um, and I said, so, you know, the, basically your shot pattern is going to be from, you know, the left edge of the fairway over into the right rough, 10 yards into the right rough, as an example. And he said, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Like I've eliminated the left side, like, but there's not always huge trouble on the left side. So why don't you take your shot pattern and just shift it over a little bit? And, and that way you'd have more balls in the fairway. Um, and he didn't quite get the concept at first. We talked through it a little bit more and he's like, oh, okay. I think I kind of get it now, but I've looked at this uh, with tour players and the better tour players uh, are, are not missing it just on one side. And, you know, Dustin Johnson is always one of the examples used around that in, in DJ uh, for his, especially I look at it uh, for their bad shots. Uh, I'm not just interested in all of their shots. I'm interested in their, in their shots that lose a lot of strokes. And when you look at it that way, he's about 50, 50. Um, and when you look at drivers of the ball by strokes gained off the tee, and you look at the best drivers versus the worst drivers, the best drivers of the golf ball, 
they are tighter to the center of of so they're they're tighter to what side they miss on so they're they're you know 50 50 roughly and then when you get to the worst drivers of the golf ball let's say they're 60 40 and i'm just kind of picking those numbers out i have a whole lot of data around this and it'd be I wish this was a visual podcast because I would be able to show something and, and you'd be really able to see uh, the pattern with players. But, you know, trying to take one side out of play is is just not a good way to to play the game. You you ideally want to miss 50 50. So you want to know what the center of your shot pattern is and you want to kind of put that over what your intended target is. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. And if you think about trying to get onto the right side of the fairway, for instance, um, I mean, in effect, you're halving your target area, aren't you? Even more. I mean, you are splitting that fairway in half, in effect, if I'm trying to hit it down the right portion of it. Um, Bearing in mind, I mean, my standard deviation with a driver, and I'm pretty accurate with a driver, if I can keep it in the teens, I'm like doing brilliantly well. I reckon on average, it's probably 20 to 25 yards, meaning that's 50 yards left and right. On average, I've got a space to hit it into. Most fairways, average fairway width for an amateur golfer, let's say 40 yards is generous. Between 40 and 28 yards is probably fairish. Um, trying to then hit it into only 20 of that 40 yards or 15 of that 30 yards fairway. Wowzers. There must be some pretty good drivers of the ball out there. Yeah, definitely not me. But, you know, the the second item you talked about trying to hit it up one side of the fairway um, is just an absolute mistake. Unless you're trying to avoid trouble on the other side, unless there is penalty strokes in play, especially or if there is a, a a you know, a nasty bunker you're trying to avoid, or there's nasty rough you're trying to avoid. Um, it's okay. Sometimes the appropriate target is in the rough on the opposite side. Um, yeah. But simply trying to take it up one side of the fairway for the better angle, which is often what you hear, um, is the absolute worst thing that you can do. Um, and that doesn't mean that it isn't um, sometimes beneficial to have the better angle because it is occasionally having a better angle will help you but in order to get that better angle you have to pick a target that is closer to trouble so closer to the rough uh, closer to out of bounds closer to water um, and any benefit you get from the times you have that better angle will be offset by the additional times you are going to hit it into trouble. Um, So trying to intentionally put it in that spot uh, is just not a winning strategy for long-term golf. And, you know, the other thing that I would say is it's, it's interesting on the PGA tour is something I've looked at in depth, having the quote unquote better angle uh, generally doesn't make any real difference. Um, And in many cases, scoring average from the better angle is worse than from the bad angle. And I don't know exactly why, but I think that what's going on is we've all been told when you have the better angle, you can be more aggressive. You can go right at the pin because you have a great angle. And I think what ends up happening is players uh, are more aggressive and they're firing at pins. Mm. And on the PGA tour pins are cut very close to the edge. And when they are firing at pins because they have the better angle, they're short-siding it more, which is what I yeah. see. So they short-sided a little bit more, which makes it tougher to get up and down when you've short-sided it. And then if we go to the opposite side of the fairway, when they have the quote unquote bad angle, uh, when you have the bad angle, you've always been told, you know, you, you can't go at the pin. You have to aim away well away from the pin. And so they're being more conservative and yes, do they, do they have some longer putts? Um, and are they not as close to the hole? Absolutely. But they're also not missing the green um, and missing the green on the PGA tour is, you know, you're, you're not, if you get it up and down 60% of the time, you're doing pretty well. So there's going to yeah. be a large chunk of the time where it's going to take you three shots to get in the hole. And if you are a PGA tour player and you are, you know, 70 feet from the hole, it's like 2.3 strokes to hole out. If you short sided, it's probably 2.6. 
So yes, you have a few more longer putts when you're more conservative from the bad angle, but you also don't miss the green as much. Um, so, you know, trying yeah, to play for that angle, the, the math just doesn't support that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. And I think where this gets mucky a little bit in the discussion is I think of some holes where, you know, the fairway cambers like from the middle right, big slope off down to the right into like a runaway. And then people would say, well, they think about what you're saying there and what we're saying. Don't try and hit one side of the fairway. And they're thinking of that hole thinking, well, I've got to hit it up the left on that hole. This is ridiculous. Of course you try and hit a side of fairway. Yeah, well, Lou did say that. If you're trying to hit away from trouble, you will move your shot pattern to the other side. And you could argue that that cambered off fairway actually isn't fairway. Cause if, even if your ball lands on that, it runs into the rough. So when I look at fairways like that, I just see that bit of fairway as non fairway. It's just an area. I don't want my ball to go into. So I move my area from the left side of the fairway and the left rough. So I'm almost now aiming at the left rough, knowing that I'll hit the, you know, the, the left side of the fairway, if I push it in a bit dead straight, I'll hit the left rough and I can still score from there. So I think sometimes what people do is they use the situations that they see at their course. I think, well, there's definitely three holes where I have to go up the left there or I've got no shot. Yeah. Well, that's not, I, I, we agree with that. That like that that's true. Um, subject to you just basically hitting it away from the trouble. Yeah. Um, um, there's one thing I want to say about that. So this is something I've run into with uh, several players that I work with and, and uh, I work with them in the capacity of, of mapping out golf courses for them for tournament events. So yeah. talking about a, a few D one players here, and I've had this conversation probably 15 times. We'll come across a hole that will have a pretty serious side hill on it. And yeah. they want to, let's say the, the side hill, it's, it's high on the right, it's low on the left, and the ball, when it lands, is going to chase all the way down to the left all the time. And they want to pick targets that are much, much, much closer to the right-hand side because they'll tell me, well, you know, the ball's going to hit and, and it's going to chase all the way down into the left side of the fairway um, if it hits up in the right side of the fairway. So they'll want to pick a target at the right edge of the fairway to try and play for that slope. But what they, what we always have to consider and think about is once you do that, if your target is now the, the right edge of the fairway, uh, you are going to hit a number of tee shots right of that, that are going to be way into the, into the right rough. And in a number of these holes, you know, there's been uh, trouble, like very thick trees or uh, other hazards in play, penalty hazards in play up the right-hand side that were, you know, 15 to 25 yards off the right edge of the fairway. And by them picking a target at the very right edge of the fairway, they were going to significantly increase their scoring scoring average uh, simply because they were aiming close to some some trouble that we just didn't want to be in. So yeah. by picking in that example, um, by picking a target on the right edge of the fairway, their scoring average is going to go up. If they picked a target in the middle of the fairway, half of their shots are going to miss right of what their target was. So half of their shots are are going to land somewhere on the right side. Some of them will land in the right side of the fairway and they'll chase down and and into the left side of the fairway. So by picking an appropriate target, roughly half of your shots will be, will be left and right of that target. Yeah. And it's, I think it's about being aware of where those um, blow ups are, isn't it? That's the, almost the bigger message being aware of, you know, if it does it, that slope on that kicks it off to the left, like you're saying, I'm thinking a few holes here in Devon where the courses are, I mean, UK courses are generally smaller than the American courses. Literally, it hits that um, slope and it's out of bounds. You know, it goes it goes across some boundary line of the course like that's where now you are definitely aiming up the right. It's that awareness of where that trouble might be. And that awareness, like you said, that you're going to miss both sides, isn't it? left and right of it, basically. Mm, yep. um, what about distance? 
obviously we all know distance helps i did it again on my live yesterday if you look at the fairways hit amongst a scratch handicapper up to 25 handicappers it's really an amazing stat you see kind of around 50 percent with every handicap bracket of fairway success fairway success um but obviously when you look at handicap brackets you definitely see on average the distance is going up to the lower handicappers and the higher handicappers being um shorter as that general rule i mean distance is a problem for everybody isn't it <laughs> <laughs> distance is a problem for everyone so yeah uh, and most I people mean, the problem that they have is they don't hit it far enough when we're talking about amateur golfers so yeah. adding distance um is is a huge huge benefit so I think that's kind of what your question was around. Yeah, was, it is should, absolutely. And I, yeah. and for me, adding distance. I mean, I often when I talk to people about adding distance, it's a bit of a panic response. Well, I'm 47. I'm 55 with kids and full time job. I can't add distance. Well, I would argue a high percentage, probably in a 90 percentage of my students I've taught over the years absolutely have all added distance during a lesson purely by more centeredness of strike through swing techniques uh, better angles of delivery from face to path path loft angle of attack all dialing them in again through um, uh, um, kind of swing technique changes and you see distance increase distance increase it doesn't just mean what we saw with bryson it doesn't mean turning yourself into a hulk it doesn't mean doing long driving competitions and i think that's often the knee-jerk reaction when we say it's you know if you can hit it a bit further it'll help you and the initial thing for amateurs is definitely get scared by that idea uh, there hasn't been i used to say this to a lot of my students i don't get many students come in who are 100 percenting their input to output so if what, i punch what do you mean their by num- that? so if i punch their numbers into ball models oh got like it yeah. ping have a great ball model of like if you've got this angle of attack these ball speeds this ball should go this far if it spins at this rate this far if it spins at this rate this far it spins so it's got like a top end and a bottom end right i can't think of one student who was top ending you know so they come with 100 miles an hour club head speed and they're getting the longest distance you can get out of 100 miles an hour they're generally hemorrhaging distance 90 plus percent of them at a guess without looking at all my old lessons nearly every one of them is hemorrhaging distance somewhere. So it's not even that they do have to move the stick any further. It's that what they put in, they don't get out. So think of it as like driving the work. You could drive the work at hundred miles an hour and you're going to use your petrol much quicker than if you drove at 30 miles an hour. So you're just not very efficient. They're moving at hundred miles an hour, but they're getting 120 or 220 yards of carry out of their ball or 210 yards of carry out of their ball. And I can, swinging it at hundred miles an hour and show them that I can carry it 240 or right. 250. So it's like, you don't need, like, it's not only just strength. There's, there's definitely ways for you to find distance with working with a pro who can help you with your technique, as well as other things from fittings and reducing curvature through swing, uh, swing techniques and all those kind of things. And obviously don't forget, you can always get stronger unless you're coming in as the Hulk. Generally people can get fitter and stronger, but, I know that's a bigger ask when you got a full-time job. Yeah, so that's understanding. A, yeah, it's a, on, it's, a, yeah, it's a really good point around optimizing launch conditions. And that, that's something that's really important. And that you can, if you haven't, I, I suggest you find an instructor that can help you under want, first understand that. And, and then two, work on that to make that change because it's a it's a huge difference. Um, and just and you can probably speak to this a, a whole lot more eloquently than I can, but something just like angle of attack. And I swing uh, five to six up with my driver. Um, And if I were to be, you know, at zero or one degree up, I would lose a pretty fair amount of distance with a much lower launch angle. And there's a number of players that, uh, that I play with that are slower swing speed, speed players, you know, you know, typical 90 to 95 yeah, range, yeah. Uh, with the driver. And uh, I'm, I've never seen them on TrackMan or GC quad, but I'm guessing that there's a number of them that are swinging one or two degrees down and they are yeah. just hitting it so low all the time. And they're losing so much distance. They could make no other changes other than changing their angle of attack and probably add 20 yards to their tee shots um, just by doing that. Maybe that might be a bit aggressive um, for, for some of them, but they are 
leaving a lot of yards on the table. And all of those yards make a big difference. We want to advance that ball as far as we can off the tee, um, taking into account penalty hazards uh, and yeah. not not losing balls OB, not losing balls in the water, not losing balls in the in the trees. Um, so we want to get it down there as far as we can and optimizing launch uh, and then training to get faster. Speed is something you can train. And I, I of the opinion that it's it's not something that you should do one time and go through a two or three month session and then never do it again. I think it's something you should start and it should be part of your training. Um, just like, you know, working on your short game is, or working on your approach play, um, working on your speed should become a consistent part of what you do. And it should be, you know, something you do two to three days a week to maintain it. Um, after you get to whatever certain point you want to, and, you know, there's some great tools out there for that. So stack system, you know, we had uh, Sasha on here, Dr. Sasha McKenzie. Yeah. Um, it's his system. That's a, a great system to, to, to use, to get faster. We have super speed, which has been around for a long time. Another great system to use, to get faster. So I would recommend that that become part of what you do. Um, yeah. that will help you maintain that speed and it will help you, you know, initially get faster. And then the, the last thing too, we we've had uh, Mike Carroll on here, you know, he's a fit for golf on Twitter. I'm sure most of the listeners know, Mike, um, you work in, you know, a, a training routine for speed and it doesn't have to be, you don't have to work out six days a week and spend four hours a day in the gym training. Um, you can, if you're doing something two to three days a week, uh, and, and Mike will give you much better information than me, but even, even just three days a week for 30 minutes is going to make an impact and make a difference and help you hit it longer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're just to round up teeing, and I think that you make some really good points there, Lou, is actually the, if golf is your lifestyle, so golf is part of your lifestyle, like maybe going to watch film or drinking wine or whatever other things you have in your lifestyle, the speed training, the maintaining your speed should become as part of your lifestyle as much as, like you say, practicing your putting or going and playing nine holes. Because at the end of the day, the problem you've got is that generally – depending on what age you're at and depending where you are on the evolution of you going faster and slower through age, as in a nine-year-old isn't going to be quick as they will be when they're 14, then it gets to a certain age where it tips over. And I know me and Lou are both maybe at that age where we're having actually to maintain now as well as build speed. So making it part of your lifestyle is, is, is that's how it stays in there for as long as possible, basically. Um, let's move on to approach. What can people do to improve their approaches? So we know a lot of people come up short. Any tips for helping people get pin high more or do they need to be? Is coming up short a good thing? What are your thoughts on that? Um, most amateur golfers, most, most golfers, including professionals yeah, it's, it's come golfers, up, yeah. come up short, um, far too often, uh, way, way more than they should. And I think the driver there is, um, people are generally too uh, optimistic with how far they're going to hit a club. Um, and they don't take into account that they don't always hit it perfectly. Uh, and, and I don't mean someone, you know, say, you know, taking a seven iron and hitting a seven iron from 180 because one time three years ago, they hit one 180 yards with their seven iron. And I don't mean that people are taking their, you know, their absolute maximum distances, best shot they've ever hit with that club and trying to do that every time. Uh, I just yeah. mean that um, even when they're picking what they think are their standard yardages, um, they still don't make perfect contact all the time. And when they don't make perfect contact all the time, the first thing that happens is the ball generally doesn't go as far when you don't mm. make good contact. So they're losing distance and the ball isn't getting there. And it's a, it's a, an even bigger problem to a front pin. 
Um, because to a front pin, uh, when you come up short to a front pin, you've now short-sided it. Um, and it's be going to be a more difficult shot to a, a front pin. So front pins are even more important to make sure that you are taking uh, plenty of club to get there. Uh, when you have a back pin um, and you come up short, um, if you're relatively online, you're, you're probably you have a good chance to hit the green. Uh, you might have a long putt, but a 60 foot putt is better than being short sided. It's going to yeah. take you less strokes to get in the hole from 60 feet on the green than it's going to be from 16 yards off the green when you're short sided. So being short to a back pin is you know, it's not as much of a problem, um, but being short to a front pin is a big problem. So take more club. I, I, it's a common mistake we all make, professional golfers included. Yeah, absolutely. And I see that when I do uh, gap fittings over the years with students. Basically, they tell me how far they hit their club. And you can see that they're actually telling you the kind of 95% to 100% distance. So when they hit it pretty good, they're not working in an average. They're not working in actually that they're hitting it strike-wise, if you want to call it this way, 75 to 83% of the time is where the bulk of their shots are. And yes, they do it a 95 or 100% one that goes on 10 or 15 yards further on. Um, and that's, the, I mean, it wouldn't even say 10 or 15 yards with an iron, to be fair. It's probably like six to seven yards further on. Um, I, I definitely see that. I always see it a little bit like earnings when you ask people, if you talk about what people earn or how much they've saved up in families and stuff, people always tend to give you the higher number. What do you earn? I earn this. Yeah, but what do you take home? You don't take that home, do you? Oh, yeah, but, I, you know, it's like yeah, people are always a little bit more. There's a bit of bravado about the distance question. What club do you hit this far? And one of the things I remember when I was playing, as you know, I'm never, I've never been one of the longest hitters in the field. I yeah, we know with. that. <laughs> <laughs> we know. But I used to like, I used to like the fact that I could compete and hit less club. Knowing what I know now, I would have actually worked on being very different, but... Back in my day, I used to like the fact that I was hitting a five wood and they were hitting a six iron because I was still in it inside them all the same. So that used to make me feel like I actually had an advantage on them. I didn't because obviously as you go, but it definitely allowed me to get in more golfers heads than they ever wanted because I was always back there. But then we get up to the green and I'm never first apart. Um, not saying that you shouldn't get longer because you should, because if I knew what I know now, I'd have actually tried to work on that when I was absolutely younger just to throw some numbers into missing short i've got from the fairway 125 to 175 approach play to give you an idea 15 handicapper which is pretty middle of the road if you like 38 percent of their shots come up short they hit the green 28 percent of the time and then the other little percentages are right and left so it's often the biggest number from the approach play uh, stats from amateurs is the short bucket is the biggest one. 175 to 125. Um, maybe guess this before I spit it out. Do you want to have a guess at it, Lou, or not live on the pod? Do you want to have it short from 175 to 125 fairway, 15 handicapper? Bear in mind, 15 handicapper for 125 to 175 misses short 38% of the time. What do you reckon they do from 175 to 125? Wait, so I, I guess I didn't understand the 38% part first. So are you saying That's how many are you saying so 62? Out of their approaches, 38% of their approaches come up short from 125 to 175, a 15 handicapper. Well, so that are you saying that 62% go long? No, 38% come short. 28% hit the green, 4% okay. go long, 17% are left, 13% okay, are right. Got it. So you're if look, you split up their approaches <clears throat> in short, long, left, right, and hit, got they it. are 38% short. So if we go 175 to 125, yeah, how many of their approaches? Probably over 50, 55%. Yeah, 65% yeah. and 65%. Because if you think about it, a 15 handicapper, 
there's some 225 shots in there, 225 yards. They won't be out of reach. They, there's no, no option of going there. No, like no. That's, I mean, you can't even plenty. reach from yeah. you, you can't even reach from two and a quarter. Steady you got to tee up a three wood. <laughs> <laughs> so bearing in mind, people are missing. Clubbing up is an idea, but I make a point there that from that bucket, one step five to one two five, they're sixty five percent short. I've worked with plenty of amateur golfs where they can't reach that. They need to be considering where they're missing, don't they? And when I say this to amateurs. They often say, oh, that's so negative. Why would you play so negatively? Well, it's not negative. It's reality. It's realistic. So it's actually very positive. You're going to miss a certain percentage of shots. You know, you're not going to hit the green. So let's say for argument's sake, overall approaches from the fairway into greens from a 15 handicapper, they hit the green 27% of the time. So from the fairway, overall approaches so that's all distance they're averaging 27 percent. so that's a bigger percentage that are missing so trying to build your game around that 25 27 arguably would be more dangerous than building it around the remainder that miss a little bit would it not yeah um for sure and you know there's a, a couple other things i want to ad- address here and talk about here uh, one when you look at pga tour players which is what we have the the best and most accurate data for the better ball strikers, they are not as short of the hole uh, as worse ball strikers. So the the worse the approach play player, the more often they will end up short of the hole. Um, and this is over a huge sample of data, many years, uh, a, a lot of different golfers. And that trickles down to us as well. So the better the player, the less often they'll leave it short. Now, some of that is quality of strike. So a scratch player is going to have a much higher quality of strike than a 15 handicap. And a 15 handicap is is going to hit a a lot more squirrely shots uh, on different parts of the club face, which is going to make the ball not travel as far. Uh, So they can overcome some of that uh, by picking more club. Another thing is what's really interesting is we've, we've talked a little bit about this in the past. And one of the things that, that I've done was there was a player that, uh, that I knew and I, I, um, I told him to start playing more yardage on every single approach shot. So no matter what he was from, from the hole or from the, the yardage he was trying to hit, I wanted him to add yardage. And it was uh, the it was a scaling number of yards. So if he was a hundred yards, uh, I'd have him add two or three. If he was two hundred yards, he'd add six or seven. And we talked about that on a past podcast. And there's a guy who I've gotten to know a little bit on Twitter, and he works with a few players, um, good players, and he works with them. And he and he uh, strategy is one of the things he's worked with them a little bit on, and he heard that. And he said, I'm going to try this with a number of players. And he's given me the results. He's given me updates on this. So he will go out and he'll play 18 holes with a player that he's working with. And he will take away their, uh, their range finder and take away their yardage book. And he is helping them with strategy. And he said, I'm lying to them on every single approach shot. So I'll laser the flag and it'll be 150 and I'll tell them it's 157. And he said, there's been a couple of times where like they've, they've, you know, we're playing golf courses we're relatively familiar with and and they, you know, we might be around a 150 plate and I'll give them a, a number and I'll, I'll lie on the number by a few yards. And they've, they've questioned me on it and said, are you sure about that? You know, it's the 150 plates right here in the fairway. Are, that can't be right. And I'm like, no, it's right here in the laser. The pin must be back a little bit uh, is what he would tell them. And they, every player that he's done, done this with, and he's done this multiple rounds with multiple players, they've yeah. all seen a big uptick in performance um, because <laughs> they are not missing short as much yeah. anymore they are getting it to the hole and past the hole far more often and <clears throat> i think um in the absence of somebody getting your numbers for you and lying to you uh, if that's something you can work on yourself and commit to longer numbers uh, and adjust it for how far you are i, I wouldn't i wouldn't suggest adding 
12 yards to your shot when you're a hundred from the hole. Um, but I, I would, you know, add 12 yards if you're 220. Um, I think that's pretty reasonable. So if you can convince yourself to do that, I, I, your scores will go down in my opinion. Yeah. Lying to yourself and, and working on where you miss, bearing in mind, you're going to miss as well. Back to that point is that it's, it's crucial for golfers to score more realistically if they accept that they are going to miss as many greens as they often do. And this is obviously where stats will really help them. But every approach I play, I'm looking at an aggressive area, a danger area and a safer area and choosing how I should play subject to the loft I'm hitting into that hole. So, for instance, if I'm hitting a three wood from 250 out, you know, and there's a lake on the right, I'm aiming way up the left. Left hand bunker is a good miss now. I'm like, if I get left hand bunker, I can up and down or get down in three from there at the worst. Um, if I'm 100 yards out and there's a lake on the right, I'm not even looking at that lake generally. So having that awareness that you can miss with different lofts, I think is a great strategy to making sure you're not just going. I mean, it's it's a cliche to just say, just go in the middle of the green. It's a fun game to play where you go just at the middle of the green and it can prove some interesting points. But being aware that you do miss and often a lot more than the golfers think might help you realize that Certain holes, there's a great par three we film at where it's very wide at the front and then there's two bunkers that start kind of mid to the green to go back and the green goes thin at the back, very narrow. So if you try and get pin high on that hole or up right. to the pin, it's a 180-yard par three. Well, you're just going to bogey that hole so much more often than if you actually play a 160 yardage to that fat part of the green, which is literally three times fatter than the back part. Um, it's understanding that from 180, me hitting it into 11 space left to right gap with two deaf drop-offs on each side, not deaf, but they're definitely difficult up and downs, is just a massive ask. Me hitting it into a 30-yard wide gap or 27-yard wide gap of green with no bunkers around with some banks that kick it in, well, 160 yards, I could do that over and over again. I'll take my 3.2 average on that. I will walk on rather than turn it into a... 3.8 or a 4.1 by trying to get pin high all the sure. time. So it's it's always awareness of that danger, isn't it? The amount of amateurs I play with that, where are you aiming that one? Well, middle of the green. Where are you aiming that one? Well, just up the right side. Like just the unprecision of their decision because they're unprecise is I often find frustrating to watch. As in, I get that you're not precise and I get that you, you know, you don't think you can hit it into those spaces and you, you won't. But having some strategy around your imprecision might just help you enjoy your game a little bit more. Um, let's move on to short game. Obviously, no one needs to practice short game, do they? Because no. you just got to all hit 300-yard bombs. Amen. Thank you for listening. Good night, isn't yeah. it? Or should they be practicing <laughs> their short game? Yeah. Um, what I mean, do you think? I I, I think you're a massive with, short game uh, practicer, aren't you? I have been in the past, probably too much to my detriment. So years ago, um, I, I spent way too much time on short game. Um, and um, if I could rewind, I probably would do it a little bit differently based on all the things that we know now that we didn't know back then. But yeah. for um, mid handicap type players, um, working on short game and, and, and putting, if you're looping putting into that right now is oftentimes a relatively it's low hanging fruit for a lot of mid yeah. handicap players. And it, they can see some big improvements by spending some time there. Um, it's a lot easier um, to, to work on uh, chipping and pitching um, and being reasonable with those um, and your putting as well. Um, yeah. the, I, I guess you could probably describe this better than me, but the, the physical skill required to hit a 20 yard pitch shot is, is probably a lot different than the physical skill required to hit it 290 off the tee. Um, well, here's and, an example I often see, and it'd be interesting to see with your Arcos connections now, as I'm looking forward to seeing what you do with that. Um, I definitely, and this is a knee-jerk comment, so I'd happily be proved wrong on the data, but I tend to see more outliers in the short game than I do the long game. The long game is very 
strict to patterns of distance and and those kind of ideas. There's always outliers, but there's a short game. Like we've literally just worked with someone for six months whose short game is that he's a he's trying to you know he wants to get into teen handicaps basically. So he's a twenty something handicap. He wants to get into teens consistently. His short game is that of a seven or eight handicapper, like a big outlier. Like his putting and chipping is just hot, but he's hitting it one eighty off the tee. Yeah. So he's just constantly up against the battle. And if you take his short game away from him, he wouldn't really have a game. He would be a, a you know, a, he'd need a 28 plus handicap. So, and, and I'll be interested if you find this in time, obviously you don't know this now, but I tend to see more outliers in the short game. So putters who putt, you know, they're off 15 handicap, but they're putting to a four handicap in their stats based ideas, but you don't see that so much in the driving. You don't see many 25 handicappers, you know, golfers who play who are in it at 280 off the tee and hitting 50% of fairways. You just, you don't see it as much. So I agree. I do think the short game, chipping, putting, pitching, huge low hanging fruit gains for people to have and often gains that they can do in and around their gardens and homes as much as they can do out on the course, they can still work dark evenings if they want to inside on feelings of striking putts and feeling of directions of the putter is going up against straight lines, all those kind of things. So absolute low hanging fruit in the short game. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And it's something that I think very few amateurs spend any real time on, right? Most people, yeah. when they have practice time, they, they go to the range, they get a large bucket of balls and they, you know, drag over ball after ball and just rifle it into the range. And, and they spend minimal time on short game. Uh, and there's, I, I assume there's a lot of players out there that the extent of their putting practice is five minutes before they tee off, they roll yes. a few putts to get speed on the green. And that's about the extent of what they practice putting. And, yeah. and that's something that um, if it became a regular part of what they practice and work on, um, there's a lot of opportunities there for a 15 handicap. I don't have it in front of me. I had it somewhere else, um, but I'm pretty sure like a 12 to 15 handicap averages 35 ish putts per round. Um, okay. And if, and they're losing a lot with poor speed control. Um, and so even by working on nothing more than speed control, they could improve their scores by one to two shots, uh, and, and take their putting down to, you know, 33, 33 and a half putts per round instead of 35 and a half putts per round, uh, simply with, uh, some, some better speed control. Um, and that doesn't require a significant amount of work. You know, you don't have to become a putting junkie and, and practice two hours a day, every day. Uh, if it's something that you can, you know, spend a couple hours a week, uh, in total, that would make a huge difference, uh, in your game. So I'm a huge proponent, especially for mid handicap players, of spending yeah. time on the short game app and yeah. uh, there's just Absolutely. so much opportunity there to get better. And I'd agree with you there, but it is a double-edged sword, isn't it? If you've got limited time to practice and you can see, if you are looking at any of the stats and we put stats out there, you can see the bigger losses for these golfers, a T degree. And that's where the big chunk of their 15 handicap kind of goes. I think for sure. be looking exactly at the yeah. numbers. It's like, if you're 15 handicapper, you're losing like, nine to 12 shots t degree off the top of my head in those kind of brackets so to then spend portions of your time practicing short game when you're only maybe hitting balls for an hour a week and then playing but i get that's tougher but that's where i think the off course stuff can really help golfers with their putt and they can still do their hour a week exercise at the range and it try and nail some long drive or, or nail some long game consistency down to try and gain some strokes but that doesn't stop you hitting some putts on the carpet at home and all those kind of things which can make a difference so uh, one really important point there is um uh, golf is a game that i think anybody can get reasonably decent at if they work at it if they spend the time on it and there's plenty of people that i've talked with over the last few years that, uh, you know, are so driven to get better and, and maybe they're a 10 handicap, maybe they're a 15, maybe they're a plus two. 
Um, and there's been a number of times where I'll ask a player like, okay, great. You, you, your goal is to be a low single digit handicap and you're currently a 16, how much, you know, in the, over the last three weeks, um, how many times have you practiced? Yeah. And I'll get, well, you know, I, you know, I haven't really been able to practice over the last three weeks. Well, if you're that, I realize life gets in the way. Like I have a, a lot of things that get in the way. I'd love to be able yeah. to spend more time playing golf and practicing golf. So I understand that part of it, but if it's something that you are uh, that serious about, you know, getting better, getting down to, let's say a scratch player and you are not practicing or you're practicing 30 minutes a week, that's not going to cut it. You're, you're never going to get there. So if you're really serious about getting better, you have to find the time. You have to make the time. And I think with the short game, the one thing I'd say about that is I, I think you can achieve those benefits. If you're a, let's say a 15 handicap, I think you can achieve those benefits of becoming a better short game player and a better putter relatively quickly. And yeah. I've talked to a few people about this and I've seen a couple of studies around this through them is that once you attain a certain skill level, um, let's say with your putting, um, it's relatively easy to maintain it. So if you mm. put the effort in on your short game, uh, so you're chipping, you're pitching and your um, and your putting. Um, and you put some, some focused effort in on it for a few months, your skill level is going to increase and you're not going to have to work as hard to maintain that. And so I, I'm, I'm confident that many 15 handicaps could very quickly go from a 15 to a 12 with some focused effort on their short game. Time. And then it takes a whole lot less effort to maintain it. They're, they're, you know, they're three or four shots better than they were. And now they can focus on the long game, which is you're right. It's where they have the biggest gap, but I think they can achieve some quick wins with short game uh, and then uh, focus on the long game. Yeah, I, I would completely agree there. So hopefully gains for everyone from each part of their short game to approach the tee shot, some ideas there for people to work on. Um, I've got one quick stat to finish on here, Lou, and I'm interested in your opinion on this one because I love this stat, and it kind of relates to what you were just talking about there, possibly subject to how we interpret this stat. I've got under 40 years old and over 40 years old strokes gain putting. So before I give the stat... Who are the better putters, under 40-year-olds or over 40-year-olds? What do you reckon? In the audience at home, you can have a yeah, guess. Yeah, I've, well. um, I've actually put data out there on the PGA Tour around this. So, so these are all obviously amateur numbers. Yeah, I know these so are amateur. How but, does but it compare on the PGA I'm Tour? Basing my, I'm basing my answer on what I've seen on the PGA Tour. So if I remember correctly, um, you would see that the younger players on the PGA Tour, not the best putters. And then as they age a little bit, as they get up to around 30 or so is when they sort of peaked. And then you started to see a, see a, you know, a steady decline from the early thirties, mid thirties, I forget exactly when it was, and you'd yeah. see a steady decline. So as they got older, they would get worse. Um, okay, and interesting. then there's, I don't know what the reasons are. There's probably a lot of reasons it would might, it would be an interesting study unto itself. Yeah. Um, I would say in the amateur game, um, I would say that the best putters would be, um, under 40 based on what I've seen in the PJ tour, but I, that could be completely wrong. I'm 50, 50. Yeah, okay. on this, so how'd I do? Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one. You didn't do very well. So under <clears> 40, <throat> they, yeah, <laughs> under 40, they lose 3.44 shots. This is like to a scratch or something like that. I actually, I'm presuming or... it's a scratch, but I okay. don't actually know if it's to a scratch or tour pro, but let's just take it as one of them. And the comparison between each age, obviously is the same comparison. So they lose 3.44 under 40, over 40, lose 2.82. So considerably better over 40 from the each I've got um, yeah, I, wanna... amateur data there. So there's yeah. lots of ways you can interpret that. I'm not saying yeah, I, there's a part of me that holds on to that because I'm in the over 40 bracket. So I'm like, I'm going to take that as a win. But there's other ways you I let's interpret it as much as we can. Maybe the over 40s are playing more. Over Could 40s be. in golf will be affluent as a general rule more than the under 40s, which would be 
generally male unfortunately from the data i've got it's heavily biased towards male there is female data in there as well but it's male so to give you the stereotype of the golfers that we're summing up here you're going to be under 40 males probably with a job playing once a week over 40 males golf's quite an affluent sport i know when i had students who were over 40 males they would be able to come in the week more than the under 40s it would be more in the evening because they're at work and then have to squeeze it in before going home and doing the family duties obviously this is all stereotypical but that is the pattern that you see so maybe the over 40s are better purely because they might be playing three times a week to the under 40s who might be playing once a week that's one possibility in there that's where the pga tour date is interesting because obviously in effect, that's more of a level playing field of data that you're comparing against if we're going to split it by age. Um, the other hold on is that the over 40s, you could argue, are, are, have they been playing longer? Obviously, that I haven't got yeah, that could data, be. but you could, they're playing longer and they're just a little bit more practiced and sensible. I don't know. I mean, you could read it in many ways, but the way I'm going to read it, Lou, is that we're great at putting because we're older. So that's a win. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I still need uh, still need to work on the on my long game. My tee to green game is where I lose all my strokes. Yeah, Mr. that's Crossfield. the same with that's the same with most people. Well, there you go. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, Lou. As always, I thought there was some golden nuggets in there for golfers if they want to hear them. And always the interesting thing, and I know you must get this with stats, and obviously. I think that last stat is an interesting one because it poses a lot of questions with stats is how we interpret yeah, the stats. And I yeah, think we're sure. still learning how to interpret the stats. So these are our opinions. We think this will help students. I'm seeing it help students that I work with. And I knew, know Lou works with golfers of uh, all kinds of abilities from top down to average golfers. Um, he's seeing benefits from the knowledge that he's using with these stats as well. So it's an ongoing fun development with the stats, I think. So let's see where they go because we could listen back to this in 10 years and be going oh we were getting that wrong because we were reading that one wrong weren't we i think yeah and i think that's a really good point i I think um i think that's important about all of this is to continue to stay open-minded um knowledge changes we learn more and some of the things that people are are teaching today might be um found to be not optimal 10 or 15 years from now and i think that's a really important point you've been around golf instruction a long time and a lot of things have changed we've learned oh, a lot um yeah. and uh and so things I, change I've got and- just yeah i've got a freewood video on youtube and it's got loads of views and i talk about how i hit up at the ball with a freewood from the ground yes that's what i feel but that wasn't what i was doing and you get the old comment comment on it saying well, we, this isn't true. Why is he saying that? And I say to people, I leave it up there because I like to show my evolution of a coach. I'm proud. Of, that's what I believe then. And this is what I know and believe now. And I'm happy enough to know and believe that that might change as we go forward. That's the beauty. The coaches all often get stuck are the ones who don't want to show their development. They either want to prove that they're always right or they don't change with the modern and they just keep hammering away the old thing. So that's what I love about the stats. I would say we are, well, if you relate it to golf coaching, like with launch monitors and not, I would say in the stat world with amateur numbers, I reckon we're pre-launch monitor by about 10 years still at the moment. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's like fair. We're way back and knowing really what these numbers are meaning, but that wouldn't stop me using them. Where you're going to use them to the best of our ability for what we know now, and then let's all learn and develop as it goes forward together. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Lou. All Thanks right, for see listening, you. and we'll see you all in the next episode. You got it. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks for listening, everybody.